Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. On today's show, President Biden's first State of the Union address. He opened with a message of solidarity. Russia's Vladimir Putin sought to shake the very foundations of the free world, thinking he could make it bend to his menacing ways. But he badly miscalculated. He thought he could roll into Ukraine and the world would roll over. Instead, he met with a wall of strength he never anticipated or imagined. He met the Ukrainian people. Then over the next hour, he covered a wide range of issues affecting Americans. For more than two years, COVID has impacted every decision in our lives and the life of this nation. And I know you're tired, frustrated, and exhausted. That doesn't even count close to a million people who sit at a dining room table or a kitchen table and look at an empty chair. Too many families are struggling to keep up with their bills. Inflation is robbing them of gains they thought otherwise they would be able to feel. Tonight I call on the Senate to pass, pass the Freedom to Vote Act, pass the John Lewis Act, Voting Rights Act. Biden delivered his speech as his approval rating hit a near record low the day before. Here to help us break it down is Jason DeSanto, a senior lecturer in the Northwestern University School of Law, where he teaches public constitutional advocacy. He's also a Democratic speechwriter. Jason, welcome back to Reset. Hey, Sasha Ann, great to be here. So what was your overall impression of this speech? How do you think President Biden did? Well, this is an always challenging and unwieldy speech to draft and deliver. And last night was a particularly challenging time to do it with everything that's going on in the world. And in the face of that, I think this was a workmanlike speech. It was a solid speech. It achieved some key objectives, but I think it also missed a few opportunities, too. Hmm. Well, we'll talk about those. Uh, It was no surprise that uh, he started the address with his comments on Ukraine. How rare is it to have a foreign policy opening? It's definitely the exception. Most of these speeches start with some domestic policy, but it's certainly not unprecedented. Most of the time it happens as last night when there's something in the news which is about foreign policy, which is really dominating the news. So George W. Bush in 2002 after 9-11, his father at the outset of the Gulf War in 1991. But in some ways, the most useful precedent was probably Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the late 1930s in a succession of State of the Union addresses, 1938, 1939, 1940, beginning to steal the American people for conflict on the continent of Europe while at the same time handling economic distress, the ongoing depression at home. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, that was a precedent that I had hoped maybe the president would have leaned into a little bit more last night. There were some thematic things that FDR did in those addresses that might have been useful here. We saw during uh, this section of the speech, though, a rare sight of members of both parties 
standing up repeatedly, right, applauding his comments. What message did that send to you? Well, it sent the message that nobody likes Vladimir Putin. And that was, in a way, rhetorical, low-hanging fruit. But you have to do it. I thought the Ukraine section was strong. I thought it was strongly delivered, which was important. It was delivered with vigor. And I thought it did a very nice job of outlining the steps that the U.S. had taken in concert with allies along the way. Those are positions that I think people are going to find to be popular, and they were responding to that. It also sent a very clear message abroad, both to Ukraine and also to our allies, that we're going to be steadfast in doing so. That worked well. Yeah. He started off with foreign policy, but there were plenty of things to talk about in his domestic policy for the rest of the speech. What did you notice about what he chose to focus on? I'll focus on the things I thought worked well first. Okay. He, he, he focused on a couple of issues that I think reposition him and also his party well for the midterms. And that's a part of this. I mean, this is a governing document. It has a, a constitutional component, the State of the Union Address, because the president is supposed to deliver information to Congress from time to time. But it's also a raw political document. And in terms of raising his own approval ratings, and that will help the people who are running for election in these districts, that polling that you mentioned, Sasha Ann, Democrats find themselves behind by seven points on the generic congressional ballot. So a focus on some economic issues was helpful in that regard last night. Prescription drugs, I thought, was a good place to go, and mm -hmm. it was tied to a really good story. I thought the infrastructure section of the speech, making that sound less technical, but actually terming it in terms of the actual projects, which are already changing, those are things that cut across political parties. And they also help to shore up support with independent voters. And right now, at least in the polling from the weekend, the president's at about a 61 percent disapproval yeah. with independent voters. So those are middle of the road economic agenda items that were important to mention last night. Yeah, he didn't bring up inflation until about 20 minutes into the speech. How well do you think he addressed concerns around that? I don't think that issue was a shining moment of the speech. But I think on the page, the proper tone was there. but. One of the points about last night's speech was it was a little abrupt in the transitions. Some of that was in the writing, but some of it was also in the delivery. And one of the things that is important if you're going to talk a little bit about your economic accomplishments is to make sure that people are listening. And they're going to be less apt to listen if they feel like you think you're chest beating about accomplishments rather than meeting them where they are in their own economic distress. There were sentences in this speech about how inflation affects people. You played one of them coming in. The problem was they came sort of abruptly. They came out of different sections, mm -hmm. and they were not delivered with the same kind of vigor that the first part of the speech was delivered with, nor with really the same kind of empathy, personal touch that the story about the boy and the prescription drugs was delivered with. So I did not feel like the economic explanation of why we're in inflation was particularly well handled. And that would be a place where I think there were missed opportunities because it colors everything else the president is going to say. I think there is a good economic story to tell, mm -hmm. but it's not a story of triumph. It's a story of progress. And in order for people to understand that, they need to understand that you're meeting them where they are. I didn't think that really came through last night. Yeah. Well, throughout the speech, Biden seemed to give several nods to Republicans, especially when he talked about policing. Let's listen to a little bit of that, Jason. We should all agree the answer is not to defund the police. It's to fund the police. Fund them. Fund them.
Fund them with resources and training. Resources and training they need to protect our communities. How strategic was this? This is part of the same kind of positioning we were talking about on the economic issues like prescription drugs and infrastructure for Biden to be able to put himself in the minds of people who are watching as somebody who is not on the outer edges of his party, but is still well within the mainstream of his party. He's been there for 25 years, and he's been there on this particular issue for the last three years. There's nothing inconsistent about what he said last night. The difference was the emphatic nature in which he said, fund the police. But if you read a little bit more and you listen a little bit more, what he's really counseling is a balanced approach on these issues. There was material in there about reforming of police and also about violence prevention. So from a strategic perspective, this is to present him as somebody who will take a middle of the road issue, uh, a middle of the road position on these issues. That's important, again, heading into this election year. There were also some clear partisan moments, which is to be expected, of course. There's one moment in particular that stood out, and that was when Colorado Representative Lauren Boebert attacked Biden's uh, talk of uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan. What happened there? Uh, what happened there is that somebody was attention-seeking and thought that she could make a moment for herself, and she failed. Yeah. This has happened in the past. This is bad behavior, and this is one of the missed opportunities in the speech. Not so much calling her out, but thematically, this speech lacked some coherence. There was an abrupt move from the foreign policy elements into the domestic elements, and there was an opportunity there. And I mentioned FDR a little bit earlier. One of the things that he did effectively was to narrate for people the battle between democracy and autocracy is abroad, but it's also at home. And Biden thematically has been in that place for the past couple of years. But one of the things that FDR did really effectively was to be able to describe for people that what democracy is about is making sure that many are successful, not the few, not power in the hands of one single person. And that's what the Ukraine-Putin conflict is about. But it's also the battle we've been fighting at home. And so we know what that looks like in America. We know what it looks like in that actual chamber. It happened last year. It looks like lies. It looks like the denial of the truth in support of one person who has an iron-fisted rule. And it looks like political violence. And those things cannot be countenanced. And so to draw a straight line between those two and to demonstrate how economic progress, making sure that people, more people than less, succeed, that people believe in democracy and democratic capitalism, those were things that FDR talked about extensively in those addresses. I thought that was something the president was going to say last night. Yeah. And it would make those people who are trying to jump in, who are trying to steal the moment, reveal them for who they actually are. And at the same time, from a raw political sense, continue to tie the Republican Party to the former president, who is not particularly popular with the kinds of voters who are going to determine this election in 2022, mm -hmm. swing suburban voters. So I think there were some opportunities there, both in terms of elegance of the speech, but also in terms of a very unsparing critique of the kind of politics we've seen in the past few years. You covered a lot of stuff, a wide range of issues affecting Americans and the world. Very little mention of the climate crisis. Uh, also, folks, I think, expected him to spend more time on voting rights legislation. Quick thoughts on that, Jason. In a perfect world, there would have been, in my view, there would have been more time spent on those. I think those are extremely important priorities. 
I think for purposes of what this speech was going to do and for the fact that they had to expand this initial part of the speech in the foreign policy aspect of it, uh, some things were given less coverage than they might have otherwise. What was more interesting in some ways was the taking of a lot of the agenda items from the so-called Build Back Better and not to term them as such, but to talk about those things that were relatively popular within that program. Right. I think we're going to hear more of that in the weeks of weeks ahead. Yeah, it seems to have dropped the phrase build back better, but definitely still pulling key points out of that uh, out of that package. We've got to talk about COVID. He unveiled new initiatives to combat the pandemic from launching the test to treat plan to naming a, a chief prosecutor for pandemic fraud. He also said that COVID no longer needs to control our lives. Let's listen. I know some are talking about living with COVID-19, but tonight I say that we never will just accept living with COVID-19. We'll continue to combat the virus as we do other diseases. Let's use this moment to reset. So stop looking at COVID as a partisan dividing line. See it for what it is, a god-awful disease. Let's stop sending each, seeing each other as enemies and start seeing each other for who we are, fellow Americans. Your take on his messaging there? Good politics, center of the road politics, wrapped around a value of unity. That sort of launched him into the part of the speech about the so-called unity agenda. Small bore issues in some ways that we might think about them have tremendous impact on people's lives, but we don't think about them as dominating the national discussion, opioids, Mm -hmm. for example. But it was of a piece with those parts of the speech, trying to find a place where people can come together rather than come apart. And that speaks to larger issues about what campaigns are actually about. They are about, in great measure, trust and whether people share our values and whether people are effective leaders. And again, there, even on the Ukraine section, that was an opportunity to really assert a credibility on leadership that then could have an impact in other areas, could earn Joe Biden the benefit of the doubt on 50-50 issues, Mm -hmm. even on domestic issues. So this stuff all has to work together And in some cases, it's about the specific issues. In other cases, it's about building up the credibility of the president so that his numbers will rise and also so that his proposals will get through that Congress. That's it for today's Reset Podcast. If you want to hear more conversations that tackle the news that impacts you, subscribe to this podcast. We drop a new episode every weekday afternoon. But that's it for today. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.